This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right. Hello and welcome to season four of Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones and in this podcast we talk to creatives about the pivotal moments in their careers. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, Well, we did the last season in lockdown and here we are some months on and not a huge amount has changed. So I hope you're hanging on in there and we hope to inspire you during these challenging times. Our first guest of this season is broadcaster, director, writer, entrepreneur and founder of Travelize, Amar Latif. Now, Amar is blind and travels around the world and Travelize is the first commercial tour operator to specialise in holidays for blind as well as sighted travellers. We were both ensconced at home, but thanks to technology, got to talk about how he got to do the job he loves. When was the last time that you, you said you were filming yesterday, but when was the last time you actually travelled abroad with all these um, restrictions? Um, I actually did travel. I did a little sneaky little trip two and a half weeks ago. <laughs> did you? Where to, did you go? I went to Corfu. Oh, I love Corfu. Oh, you yeah. love the thing. Was it lovely? It was so nice. And I got out on the water. I was swimming in the sea, you know, went on this yacht. And I uh, went sailing and water skiing and kneeboarding. And you totally forget about all the depressive corona stuff, you know, when you're out there. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Because we managed to sneak away in the summer and you sort of, for a moment, you forget. And then you come back and you imagine that everything's going to be fine. And then you come back and you're like, oh, well, tier two, That's it. tier three. So um, for you, though, um, for your travel business, it must be an incredibly difficult time at the moment. Yeah, it is. It's it's a bit difficult, actually. Um, So we've had to reduce the workforce. And so, you know, batten down the hatches, keep all the costs down. So, Mm. you know, with social distancing and taking blind people on holiday, that isn't possible. So we um, so we're we're just kind of like riding it out just now. We're in touch with our customers, you know, keeping just reassuring them that we're still here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a lot of them have let the, let us keep some of their money as well which is really nice so you know we just um just having a little bit of light banter with them until yeah. it all blows over well, well like you say that social distancing my my dad's got a guide dog and uh, he said that people guide dogs aren't trained to social distance and he doesn't like going out that much because people don't move away and he can't see if people are are close or not it's it's incredibly difficult but I have to say thank you for inspiring him on MasterChef because I think he saw you on that and he was like oh actually he's never done any cooking even when he he could see better but um you know yeah you can do anything can't you it's incredible what you've achieved yeah I mean I guess um I find that I can't see you know various things and as a result I don't I can't see any problems either which is <laughs> which is really good so I just go into everything you know blindly (laughs) and and, um I mean has anyone inspired you because there aren't many blind role models I was trying to think really that you know you're 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 starting something here I think 
Oh, can you bear with me? Sorry, the timer's gone off. Let me just switch oh, the oven off. Sorry, yeah. I forgot about that. Alexa, stop. Sorry, what, Ali. What, that's all right. What are you cooking? I'm making cod. Oh. Just simple cod and broccoli and no carbs. Um, you know, just controlling controlling the weight at the moment. Oh, I'm but it must have a, a, a real t a twist to it, having been on MasterChef. You must be uh, really good in the kitchen. Well, I don't think I'm really good at the kitchen, but... I think you just have confidence to try new things. You think, oh, I did that on MasterChef. So, you know, I've just got a Swede and I don't really eat Swede much, but like you just like peel it and boil it and mash it and you just try different things. So I'm going to, you know, so it gives you the confidence to just try things that you've never done before. Yeah. And, and I was saying just before the timer went off, there's not many uh, people... Who, who I think are blind in the public eye. I'm, try, I'm trying to think. There's, you didn't have many role models, I imagine, as you were growing up. Um, there wasn't that many, actually. And um, I remember, like, you know, I guess you had, like, musicians like Stevie Wonder, mm. but it was totally a different thing. It's like people think, oh, well, you know, you're blind, so you must be good with music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I do play guitar and sing, but you know, not to those levels. So it's, you know, they all, people always automatically assume that you've got these amazing senses, you know, you're going to be great at this, great at listening, great at um, smelling things, tasting things, uh, singing, um, you know, things like that. So sometimes it was, it was a little bit of a hindrance, but I remember when I got my first graduate job and I, I really struggled working in the office. I mean, there was the work element, you know, there wasn't anybody, many, many blind people around, especially not in the accountancy finance world. Mm. And it was just trying to find your own way. Um, so there wasn't that many. And also when you went to university, because now you've talked about Alexa and, and this after, oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that word very loudly, otherwise yeah. she'll do something. Um, yeah. But there's so much tech now. But but I imagine when you first went to uni, it was completely different, wasn't it? Yep. When I embarked upon my course, Math, Stats and Finance, you know, I suddenly became blind. And then I was, you know, a few months into my course and lectures said, you know, you know why don't you try a subject like history or um, <laughs> politics or, you know, something that's literal. But I wanted to do finance. I don't know why, but I... <laughs> I think when I was very young, I, I fancied this girl in my class and she'd said that she wanted to be an accountant. So I thought accountancy was sexy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there wasn't the computer speech technology available and I used what they used to call cassettes. Do you know what cassette is? Yeah, yeah definitely. You look too young to me. Oh, stop um, it. <laughs> I don't know how much of a compliment that is coming from a blind guy anyway. <laughs> Just keep keep it going. It's fine. Um, no, cassettes are brilliant, but that's very difficult when you're trying to fast forward and rewind and do all that and, yeah. and study at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, I was used to using my eyes and, you know, when you're studying, you, you, you memorize where text is on the page and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and putting it all onto a linear format, like just audio. It was very, very difficult. I'd play the tape. I'd end up falling asleep <laughs> and I'd wake up even more confused than when I started. <laughs> but then, you know, we worked out a little system. Um, we had this special recording cassette player where you could put in little beeps 
So at the beginning of each chapter, we'd have like maybe two or three beeps and between each section, we'd have a beep. We'd come up with a great system of, you know, when somebody was recording the maths equations, you know, we'd put in an extra bracket. So we used to say open square brackets, open curly brackets, open round brackets, X plus Y. Then you'd run out of the brackets. So, so then we had to create a system of like, okay, we'll just say open bracket one, open bracket two. Um, and we created a little system and it was, it was good because leading up to my blindness, my eyes would get a bit tired. So now I could just shut my eyes and sit and just enjoy these beautiful equations. <laughs> and, and you talked about leading up to your blindness. So it was getting worse and worse. And I, I know that it was your late teens, wasn't it, that this all happened? And was it when you were much younger, though, that you found out that this was going to happen? Do you actually remember the conversation that you had with your parents? That must have been incredibly difficult that in the future um, that you would lose your sight. Yeah, I didn't remember the conversation as such, but, you know, around about four years old or six years old, um, my parents were told that we were going to go blind. And I don't know how much they had told us, but every year we'd go to a hospital for an eye checkup. Mm. And, you know, I'm writing my book right now, and I've never actually asked my mum about the moment that she was asked. And I remember speaking to her and she just burst into tears and I couldn't... And I'd never imagined, you know, how it would be like for them when they found out. Anyway, like, you know, I said, oh, mum, don't worry. And then a few days later, I said, she, she goes, I'm, I'm ready. I can tell you more. <laughs> and then I said, you know, like, how is dad? And she said, you know, dad was really upset and he was crying for days. And my dad was like, you know, he passed away about five years ago. He was incredibly brave. And I couldn't imagine him crying and being upset. Mm. And I guess when I did lose my sight and my parents were very protective over me, I, I had no concept that they had been struggling with that for years, you know, realising that the kid, three kids are actually going to be going blind. I think it's almost watching other people, watching it happen to other people, and when you have no control over it, that must be incredibly difficult. But you, you turned it around because you decided to go to university and they didn't stop you. They, they were protective towards you, but they let you... They, they let you do the job that you thought would find the woman of your dreams because that's what you thought accountancy yeah. would do. <laughs> well, I didn't tell them at the time, you know, growing up in a conservative Muslim household, it's like, Dad, I, I want to do finance because I think it's great. <laughs> and my dad was very, very supportive. You know, my mum was incredibly supportive as well. I would often say to them, what's the point of a blind person going to uni, studying finance? Because when I come out the other end, I wouldn't be able to do the job as an accountant. And I remember my dad saying, look, let's just take it a step at a time and um, we'll see what happens when you get there. And I remember just humoring him and just thinking, right, okay, I'll just go along with it. And it was incredible. You know, you, when you when you faced with a massive task or challenge in your life, you know, you start off taking little baby steps and, uh, you know, it's incredible how far you can go. But you must have had to also you talked about the <laughs> imagining the equations with all the brackets, but your friends must have really had to help you up during your time there. I, I did, yeah, I got lots of incredible support. The university had a disability unit in it. So I went to the University of Strathclyde in, in Glasgow and they had a grant funding system. So I found myself as becoming a little employer and I was <laughs> hiring students in my class. They loved it because they had to write their notes neatly and they'd get paid for it. So that was great for them. 
And then, you know, there's big, thick maths textbooks. And of course, you know, the students didn't have time to record them. So I took them to the local blind in place, the Royal National Institute for the Blind. And they're like, what? How are we going <laughs> to read these? <laughs> and after trying many different people, we found this really lovely guy called Neil. And him and me created this amazing system. And all my maths textbooks were, were being recorded by them. So uh-huh. yeah, I got you know, incredible support along the way. I'd say that with my lectures, they they were a bit perplexed. A blind student suddenly comes in because the way I see it is like, you know, the universities, it, they're a bit like the zoos, if you imagine. And, you know, like they're like eco learning systems. So like mm. in the maths departments, like, you know, the elephant enclosure. <laughs> um, and so if you imagine the lectures are like zookeepers looking after the elephants. And then one day, someone brings this fish called Amar Latif to them. You know, they don't know how to cope with someone like that. I mean, they're capable of nurturing and supporting the elephants, but then this fish is difficult. So they struggled to some extent because I wouldn't, you know, I'd, I'd ask them to give me my lecture notes in advance because if you can't see and you're in a lecture and on the board, you know, the projector, they, they put lots of math stuff, it won't make sense just by them talking. Yeah. So that would waste my time. So because they weren't able to do that, then I decided, I made the radical decision, I wasn't going to attend many of my lectures. And so I would go to the beginning of the lecture, I'd take my tape recorder there, press record, and I'd walk out and I'd end up bumping into the lecture coming in. (laughs) And I think I was working on the basis that, well, if they can't, if I can't see them, they can't see me. Well, it worked because then you you went off to Canada as part of your your degree and and that was your first travel experience was it it was one of the first few um i had been to saudi arabia on a pilgrimage but other than that we didn't travel as a family you know Mm -hmm. my dad was busy you know because he came from hard times you know he traveled into this country with very little money and so he worked and built up his business so you know we, we didn't really travel much so yeah it was it was my first time actually traveling by myself you know, after having lost my sight. And you thought, I, I really quite like this, uh, getting on a plane and going to, to different places, but you still didn't, did you, at that point, did you think I would like to do this as a job traveling? Or did you think, no, I'm going to get into the, the corporate life and, and become an accountant? I think I thought, wow, this is good, isn't it? Like, I couldn't see, and, you know, I was halfway around the world and I was by Lake Ontario in Kingston at Queen's Uni and I was just loving it and, you know, certain weekends, you know, me and my new international friends would hire a car, we'd drive down to New York City, you know, and it was just so incredible. Wow. You know, we went to Niagara Falls. And and I think at that time, I didn't, I didn't think that I would ever, you know, be involved in the travel world. I was still like, you know, I, I thought, oh, this is just something that you do when you're a student. <laughs> you know, I just thought, right, okay, when I go back, I'm going to become an accountant because I need to get sexy. <laughs> people are going to think I'm so strange <laughs> and you know what they'll probably be right <laughs> so when you were working for BT though was there a, still a pull though you you were like I I'm enjoying this but I think I would like to do my own thing start my own company and and eventually travel all over at BT I absolutely loved my time there you know I started as a trainee graduate accountant it was at BT Selnet to start with and just before it became O2 I jumped off that ship onto 
onto British Telecom and I got loads of opportunities. And after seven years, I ended up heading up the finance division. And I was hugely satisfied with my job, but I had money to spend. And I was thinking back to my time in Canada and I thought, you know, I want to travel. And when I approached group travel companies, they said, oh, you know, you're blind. You know, we can't have you traveling by yourself. You need to bring a carer with you. Yeah. I thought, I don't really need a carer. You know, I love traveling. And um, so I thought, well, you know, if you want something that doesn't exist, either you do without or you got to build it yourself. So I set up my own world's first international tour operator that takes groups of blind and sighted people all over the world. I must say it brings them back too. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a great concept though, because, but I wonder whether was it difficult to get investors at the beginning because, you know, you had that reaction when you wanted to go traveling on your own and people were like, no, you can't do that. Did you have to do quite a lot of blagging? I did. I, the, the banks literally just laughed me out of their branches. You know, they just said, you know, you're, you're blind and, and, and you want to do what? Um, my, my father said, look, Hammer, you've worked so hard. You've got a great job. And why, why do you want to just, you know, throw it away? Um, but I just felt like I was so passionate about this. And I just felt it was so unfair that blind people didn't have the same rights as sighted people. You know, sighted people have been able to travel for centuries. But as a blind person, you couldn't just choose where you wanted to go and just go. Mm. And that just drove me to, to, to just take that risk. So I jumped off the corporate cruise ship of employment <laughs> and onto the risky dinghy of entrepreneurship, you know, to be jostled <laughs> by the waves of free market. Weren't you terrified? I was, I was terrified, but, you know, ignorance is such a bliss. You know, the older we become, we just become too safe. Mm. But I was about 30 then, um, and I was just so excited. I was just... I knew in my heart that this was the right thing. And I think when you're, when you believe in something and you're passionate, yeah, the obstacles, you just find ways around them, you know, and that's for any, any good business, you just need to, 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 to believe in it strongly from your heart. So you, the banks were turning you away. So how did you manage to get started? Started very small. So I thought that, you know, this is going to be really hard because not only am I setting up a travel company and I've had no experience of the travel industry at all, <laughs> and that there isn't that this market doesn't exist at the moment. Like blind people haven't been able to go off like independently without their family and their friends, you know, because what we do is we, you know, it's a new concept. We, we pair people together. And so I thought, how am I going to promote this? And so then I, an opportunity presented itself. The BBC were looking for 11 disabled people of you know, different disabilities to trek the Nicaraguan jungle. Um, and in fact, trek all of Nicaragua, you know, from the Atlantic coast to the Pacific Ocean. 220 miles, nothing to it, you know, through dense <laughs> tropical jungles and shark infested lake and up a 5,000 foot volcano. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. This is this is my bank loan. This is what's going to help us because the biggest challenge was going to be the marketing. And if I get my name out there, this would help. So yeah, so I did Beyond Boundaries back in 2005. But Beyond Boundaries, I mean, it looked 
absolutely terrifying, extraordinary, brilliant, but I think above everything, incredibly difficult. So you thought, probably thought, I've got to do this because this is going to help project me for my future business. But there must have been so many times when you just thought, it's not worth it. What am I doing here? Oh, absolutely, Ali. There was so many times that I felt that, you know, because it's 40 degrees heat and I was pushing a wheelchair you know I was pushing um Adi Depitan and Sophie Morgan and And it was absolutely brutal I've you know the bits I've seen I was just like come on this is painful to watch because it's so hard it was just like every morning we'd wake up at four or five pack up the tents and head off and I just kept thinking right I don't think I can do this anymore um I'm gonna have to tell them that this is it that I can't go any further Mm. but I just kept saying look just take another step step by step and I just kept doing that and and then you know got through it but you all Um, you didn't all make it did you no so out of 11 um seven of us made it so four four people had to had to go and you know some were airlifted out you know, because it was dangerous areas that we were in, mm. you know, crocodiles and oh, drug bandits and just say it, just, on, you know? just like that, you know, just you're in yeah. the comfort of your house making fish. But, you know, at the time, crocodiles, bandits, it. it was just horrendous. Yeah. You know, when you know when the chips are down, you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, why did I find my normal day to day existence being in an <laughs> office? adventurous, you know. But Can you yeah. describe that feeling when you finished and it was all over? Well, it wasn't over because you were still there, but you you knew you wouldn't have to push Addy or anybody else anymore. It was such an incredible feeling. So when we um, came down the volcano and made it towards the finishing line in the Pacific Ocean, it was the most incredible feeling ever. You know, the sun was shining and I could hear the waves, like I could smell the sea. So after walking for a month through the jungles and the volcanoes, I could smell and hear the sea. And it was the most sweetest smell and sound I had ever come across. And all I wanted to do was just take our clothes off, you know, and just jump in the scene. And and I guess that's what we did. (laughs) You know, we're in the Pacific Ocean. Well, I think you deserved it. And you must get that those sort of um, feelings when you take people on travel eyes. And, um, and I ma- imagine you get some brilliant um, experiences and people say to you things like, I've never done this before or I, I did it years ago. And can, can you give us an example of, of somebody who's absolutely been bowled over by it all? Oh, my God, we've got so many examples. I mean, I'm inspired by our travellers and that's what keeps me going with travel eyes. You know, for example, there was this one of our travellers, Bob, he was in his mid-60s and he's blind and he's never, ever been on an aeroplane before just because, you know, he didn't think that he could do that sort of stuff. And I found out we were heading to Cuba and the seatbelt signs had come on the plane that my assistant had told me that this is Bob's first time. I couldn't resist. I unbuckled myself. It's a bit illegal. <laughs> and I ran over to Bob's seat and I said, Bob, I've just heard that this is your first flight. He said, yes. I said, oh, what, what do you think is going to happen? He goes, oh, the plane's going to take off. And then what, Bob? He goes, oh, I think they've told me that a trolley's going to come around with drinks. I was like, all right, okay. And I went back down and sat down. But, you know, that was Bob's first 
experience on a plane and he's in his mid 60s and he's, he, he came to Cuba and he absolutely loved it. So since then, like in the period of about two, three years, he's been on about 15 travelized holidays to all sorts of places, to, to India, you know, to, to Africa, to Ghana. And it is just incredible. We had a, a young guy in his mid-30s, Mark, who he actually got a degree from Oxford University in maths. Really bright guy. Again, didn't think that he could travel. And, you know, since then, like he's just done, you know, tens and tens of trips with us, you know, going to all far-flung places. And, mm. uh, you know, we offer not just discovery tours and sun holidays, but we do active holidays as well. So he learned to ski with us. So it's our skiing holidays consist of like blind travelers ski behind the sighted travelers. So you're not holding on, but the sighted travelers wear a little speaker and you just follow the music and it's just <laughs> incredible. We do sailing holidays as well, you know, in the Ionian Sea, we go walking holidays to places like Bulgaria and Andalusia. And, and it's just amazing. Uh, travel is is so amazing, but there must be times as well, and particularly when you're making all these TV programmes, when there have been a few like, oh, this is infuriating, you know, stolen passports or lost luggage. It's one of those things when you look at the brochure and you go, this looks nice, and then occasionally things do go slightly wrong. You must have had a few of those as well. Surprisingly, not as many. But oh. um, I can recall like one one situation where... You know, we, with our trips, 30% of our customers, travellers come from, you know, countries like America, Canada, Australia, and 70% are, are UK based. And so there was one trip we did to Cuba. And of course, Americans aren't allowed in Cuba, but we basically say to people, you know, if they, if they join, people can join the trips either, you know, we book their flights or they arrange their own flights. So these Americans had joined our land-only package in Cuba, so five of them. And you wouldn't believe it, like nobody on a travelized holiday has ever lost their passport, but these five <laughs> lost their passport. So five Americans on a travelized trip um, who'd come via the Cayman Islands or something had lost their passports and they were petrified. And so me as a tour manager had to work out like you know how we were gonna get them out of Cuba <laughs> I thought oops uh, so that was quite stressful but um the Cuban authorities were, were brilliant and um you know we managed to get them out to the Cayman Islands again and um so that was fine you just sort of said that it was quite stressful you've dealt with crocodiles though in in South America and well hopefully not literally cro crocodiles but the threat of crocodiles so this is all easy isn't it really in comparison well, I suppose it's not an imminent danger to your life, so <laughs> that makes that gives you a bit of bit of time to kind of like mull mull the problem through. So beyond boundaries, then I I, I didn't realise that was almost in tandem with the launch of Travelize. I thought Travelize came first. So you know, you're absolutely right. So Travelize was established in April two thousand and four, but it didn't start trading till June two thousand and five. And Beyond Boundaries, we filmed at the beginning of 2005 and that aired in October 2005. So, so the first ever travelized trip that I did, I had to take leave from British Telecom for a week to lead the trip. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and by the time the second trip came around, we, you know, Beyond Boundaries, it was a four part BBC TV series and we got loads of publicity. I remember 
being a special guest on Ready Steady Cook with Adi Adeptan. <laughs> and while Ainsley Harriet was busy asking me about, oh my God, am I blind? And how does a blind person chop a pineapple? I was busy telling people about this cool company that I had established, Travelize, and um, try not to muck it up by I'm a multitasking at the same time. And then little did you know that you'd end up on MasterChef. That's just quite strange. I know. I guess I don't see it as multitasking because I'm not really looking at what I'm doing, so it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and did all the other TV work come off the back, do you think, of Beyond Boundaries? Because you've done some stuff with The Last Leg and Travelling Blind with uh, Sarah Pascoe as well. Yeah, I guess... Um, that's where it started from, Beyond Boundaries. And then I was busy getting travel eyes off the ground and I was so passionate about it. Then I, um, I direct, you know, I did lots of little TV bits here and there. I directed a Channel 4 documentary called Sightseeing Blind, where we took a blind lady with a, a younger sighted guy, guy and we went up to Florence and he was to be her eyes. Um, so I directed a few programmes and, to, you know, presented programs like you said traveling blind with Sarah Pasco the comedian that was amazing mm -hmm. um, pilgrimage recently this year um, river walks so I guess you know it just goes hand in hand you know I'm I'm, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the blind guy who wants to show you the world and th there was a moment I think when you were with Sarah and you said you were worried that you would forget what what seeing was like and she did some some brilliant description for you and you know, that was that was wonderful but uh, I know because my dad's he's lost most of his sight now it says though that what's great is that he still dreams when he dreams he can see everything and I wondered if that's the same for you yes I do dream um it's partly sighted partly blind it's a little bit confusing sometimes I'm driving a car quite often and I can't quite see where I'm going but when I get to T-junction I get out of the car, quickly listen to see if I can hear the traffic and then I get back in. So it's it's a bit confusing, um, but I'd say mainly it's just like a blur that I'm seeing. Interesting um, that you're driving a car. I think that's, you know how people say they sometimes they dream they can fly and it's some things that, you know, that you can't normally do. It's it's really lovely that you can be driving a car. Yeah, so I'm always driving. I don't know where I'm going <laughs> or coming from, <laughs> but I'm so, always driving in my dreams. It's all about traveling, isn't it? That's what it is. Um, exactly. And, and your, your, your senses are really heightened. Um, and for you, when you're traveling, what's what's the sense that you use the most? You said you really get out of the car, you're, you're listening. So is it your hearing? I, well, when I'm traveling, I, I, I try and use all my senses, you know, so that I can fully enjoy places. Because I think sighted people often just focus on mainly their sight. And I think that they miss out so much. Often these days, we're quickly taking Instagram shots and moving on, and we're not really quite engaged with the place. And so, you know, when I'm there, I get my sighted guide to paint the picture so that I visualize it. Then I, I touch things, uh, you know, like when in river walks, like when I was walking along the River Ned, abseiled down into the freezing gorge, but then, you know, touched these million year old rocks and formations. You, you, you taste things. Um, you know, like when I'm in Italy, you might be cooking in a traditional Tuscan farmhouse and you're really, you know, getting involved and, 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 and you're smelling the taste of and, and tasting these tomatoes and, and, and the taste of basil, you know, like just from the smell, you can taste the basil in the air. Uh, I mean, there's loads of experiences, 
you know, there's, there's places where we've gone to, you know, in Cuba, jumped out of a Soviet helicopter. You know, it was quite an exhilarating experience where you feel the wind and the elements bombarding, you know, your every sense. Then in Turkey with Sarah, you know, climbing up a tree and encouraging Sarah to come and put her head in a beehive with 40,000 bees, which she was really reluctant to do. She really felt that she got transported into their busy world. So there's just so much that you can get, you know, if you use all of your senses. But you see, when you, a lot of people go on holiday, they lie on the beach and they might drag themselves off their sun lounger and go and get a drink. You, you, you don't do that. You, you're talking about climbing trees, getting near bees, jumping out of helicopters, all sorts. You like to be challenged. And I am I right in thinking that that's because of the, the blindness that has made you think, oh, stuff it, let's just live for every day. Or have you always been like that? I think it's probably the, the, the blindness that's helped. It, it helps put things into perspective. You realise that life is so, so short that you just want to squeeze it for everything it's got. And, you know, it's, I don't think you have to lose your sight to, 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 to be limitless and to take advantage of life. You just need that mindset, that positive mindset that, that appreciates life. And, you know, then, then you can, you know, fully achieve your potential. But don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I sometimes on my own holidays, you know, I might want to chill out by the beach, have a nice cocktail and relax. But but you're right, like when I go to a country, like I'm, if I've never been there before, I want to meet the people. I'm so curious because I can't see. I want to talk to them. I want to see how they live. I want to experience different experiences that I've never had. And my heart desires that. So when, sometimes when I am lying on the sun lounge, I'm like, right, okay, but I need to go and find out what's happening. <laughs> and then I'll come back. <laughs> And, and and we we touched on on Master Chef, and that must have been a huge turning point. I mean, that was only that was this year, wasn't it? Um, but That's you right. nearly you nearly didn't do it. So, what made you change your mind? Well, I told the bosses at Master Chef that you know I'm uh, you know I'm blind and I can't cook. So they went away last year, but then they came back this year, and I told my agents, look, tell them I'm still blind and I still can't cook. <laughs> and this time they're like, can we meet you? And we met and. You know, like I said, you know, I've always got a positive mindset and, you know, I suddenly realised, what am I doing? I always say yes in my life. And I said yes. Then I spent the next two, three weeks terrified, thinking I'm about to go on TV to cook and I can't cook. (laughs) And so I just gave it everything. And, you know, I suddenly changed my position. I found ways how a blind person can cook. And I think that was the biggest challenge. Like when you're sighted, you can read books or go on YouTube and find out how people do things. But as a blind person, you know, when you can't see the onions are going brown, well, how can you tell? Well, you know, you listen out for the sounds, you listen out for the smells, you feel the texture, um, you find what's out there. And, you know, by doing all that, I found that, you know, I got into a little flow. Well, more than that, you nearly won it. (laughs) <laughs> well almost I just got to the just the one episode before the last part of the semi-finals um which I was so pleased about I thought I should have been kicked out a long time ago but you know it, it was brilliant 
and, and meeting new friends and a lot of people talked about your, your bromance with Gethin. Yes, um, we got on really, really well. I mean, there was just so many lovely people that I met, like Felicity Montague, Lady Leisha, you know, she was in Leeds the other day and, um, you know, she contacted me. Um, Gethin and me, yes. I mean, we just had a great connection. Gethin is a, a lovely, lovely guy. And, you know, we bonded over the Apple Charlotte challenge, you know, where <laughs> there was the wall in the middle and we had to, um, you know, work in, a, in, in pairs. And we just seemed to kind of get on really, really well. And, you know, in all the challenges that we did, we just we just got on. You know, I, I, just, I think he didn't see any problems with the, with the blindness. And it was just, you know, because I think when you've never met a blind person before, suppose you've got the experience with your dad mm. you know, you're scared in case he might say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and I think Gethin was just so bullshy that he wasn't you know and that kind of helped <laughs> but I would say to anybody you know if you meet anybody that's blind or any disability you know just just be honest just look I've got no experience with this I hope I don't say the wrong thing but you know just just let me know what I can do I'm not so politically correct like I won't say oh my god you said did you see that program? And then you realise that you're blind. You know, when you are blind, things happen and you get people that might be better and you get that with people that are sighted. So just if you have one bad experience with a blind person, you know, don't let that put you off. You know, as, as blind people, we've had people like, you know, we always get like some old lady that comes up, grabs me by the arm, takes me across the road and says, all right, love. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm good, but I didn't want to cross the road in the first place. <laughs> just turn around and have a little laugh about it you know and then she's like oh my god I'm so sorry I should have asked and it's it's cool you know my dad was on the bus with his guide dog and the guide dog ate a sausage roll out of a poor like five-year-old's hand but my dad couldn't <laughs> see <laughs> and then um he did realize what happened and I think he gave them some money because he felt really bad but you can't tell a guide dog off can you even though even if it hasn't eaten a five-year-old child's snack poor child was in tears I guess they work so hard don't they the guide dogs but yeah. their little you know their their little moment is they probably realized you know that the dad can't see so yeah. when they can take the piss <laughs> <laughs> All the time, I think you're right. And you do lots of talks and, and it's so lovely that you can use your platform to, to talk about what we've just talked about. You know, it's don't be scared to go and talk to a blind person. And uh, you've spoken at the UN as well. I mean, your family must be so proud of what you've done. Yeah, they are very, very proud. You know, my mum and dad, very proud. I mean, my mum never thought I could cook. She didn't even want me to go on MasterChef. And now she was at my house the other day and she sat on the breakfast bar and I said, mum, shall I make you an omelette? And I, she said, yeah, absolutely, son. I whipped out the knives and they, you know, started chopping and she didn't flinch. And that's what's happened along the way. I think my parents have been very supportive but you know sometimes people are apprehensive but if as a blind person if you're bold and assertive and you know push your boundaries you not only bring yourself along but you bring all the people along so yeah they're, they've, they've been really proud and you know I'm really proud of them as well. She must love the fact you're on the one show as well. Yes absolutely um, I'm actually filming uh, a report for the one show on social distancing so that'll be coming out in a few weeks so um, you know yeah she'll be very pleased. And have you got other stuff coming up, um, you know, making sure the travel industry stays safe? That's really difficult at the moment. But in terms of we're going to see you on the telly more and more, I imagine. 
Um, yeah, so there's some little secret thing coming out at Christmas. So if this podcast comes out before Christmas, then you know keep a watch out for that. But there's lots of different things that I'm that, that I'm doing that I can't really talk about at the moment. But you know, watch it's exciting! This space. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> and it will involve travelling, I'm sure, because I bet you're desperate to get back out there. Absolutely, um, you know, travelling is just so incredible. I've done it for 15 years. It felt weird during lockdown not doing it but as a result um you know I'm I'm, I'm writing a book so I'm traveling in my mind and and if we look back on on everything that you've done and, and those pivotal moments that got you to to where you are now I guess just getting out there going traveling to Canada and 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 and, and launching a business of your own but but meeting people along the way that really helped and inspired you particularly the all the other disabled people in the in, in the boundaries show absolutely you know um i mean there was a, a girl called jane who was a doctor um from the northeast and she was she, she lost both her legs when she was one her parents had this difficult decision where they had to decide whether or not that her legs should be you know cut off and they made that decision because of medical reasons and she was just so incredible she had these artificial legs that she'd put on and she'd be five foot ten and when I met her for the first time she took them off and she was like um the height up she came up to my waist and, and she goes Amber do you want me to guide you by 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 this pool and I was like yeah I'll, I'll wait till you you know you, you stand up and it was so embarrassing, you know, but she took it in her stride, you know, like, <laughs> so June's like, yeah, I've just taken my legs off. I was like, oh, I'm okay. She was amazing. She made it right to the end and she was using two artificial legs and she walked 220 miles. You know, there's people like that, so inspirational mm-hmm. um, that, you, that, that you come across. And like I said, you know, my travelized travelers, very inspirational, how they push themselves and they try new adventures like skiing for the first time, sailing for the first time, and how they love it. And they they then inspire the sighted folk that come on the trips. And you know, it's it's, it's just so incredible. And have there been other other moments? I talked about people, but other moments that have really made a big difference to to what you're doing now. You know, I've also been really supported and inspired by Stelios, you know, the founder of EasyJet. Mm. Back in 2007, he, he realised that people that were blind were being discriminated against in, in job situations. So he thought that the best thing would be to encourage them to be entrepreneurs like himself. So he had an awards system that he set up. So each year, he since then, he's been giving £50,000 a year to a successful disabled entrepreneur. And I was the first one back in 2007, you know, and I still support him every year. You know, we, we choose the best disabled entrepreneur and he always says, oh, you know, you never forget your first one, you know. <laughs> he always embarrasses me with that, but, you know, he's been incredibly supportive and, you know, he's it's unlocked an amazing network. So, you know, I've spent many times going out to Monaco, catching up with him, meeting his friends, have been you know equally supportive so you you get people like that that Mm. use their position to help change things for other people and if you haven't had any advice to others I know you you do a lot of this motivational speaking and but something might be holding somebody back if they're listening to this and thinking well I can't do this I've got this idea but I just don't know whether I've got the guts to do it they might even have a disability or they might be anxious about something what advice would you give them 
yeah, whether you've got a disability or not, I just say, you know, be limitless. Don't let your own preconceptions or other people's preconceptions hold you back. You know, if you've got a great idea or you want to do something, you know, maybe you want to, you, you do, once the COVID's over, you want to travel around the world, you want to change your career, you know, realizing that we've only got one life and, you know, you can, you can change things and that you've got the power to change things. And initially it might seem daunting, but I would say that, you know, just like when I first lost my sight when I was 18, but if you do start taking those baby steps, you'll be amazed how far you get to. And, you, you know, when, when you do reach the summit of your chosen mountain, you know, you'll look back and you'll realize how beautiful a world we live in. And, you know, it's then you just realize that, you know, anything is possible. I think that's so inspiring and particularly actually at this time I know you say if you want to go traveling after COVID but I think probably people are struggling a bit now at the moment because everyone's a bit stuck at home but if you can think of looking to the future and little baby steps each day that's really really helpful. Absolutely and just being uh, grateful for things as well like I had COVID in April and I was like shipped off to a hospital I wasn't on a ventilator but while I was there I was thinking in during lockdown, we, 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 we get quite miserable about being at home and stuff. But whilst I was there trying to fight for my breath, I was thinking, you know, I would give anything to be back in my apartment, you know, day in, day out. And just realizing that we can breathe and we're healthy, you know, it's, it's a great thing. Absolutely. Oh, listen, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I'm worried about your cod that's gonna burn in your oven. <laughs> Is it all right? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fine. I switched it off, so it'll oh, be nicely oh, right. warm. Oh, good, good. Well, Anna, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me today. And um, we can't wait to see what you've got in store at Christmas on the telly and, and everything that's coming in the book and all the new adventures that you're going to be doing with Travel Eyes. So thank you for talking to me. No, thank you. And it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Ali. You're so relaxed and easygoing. <laughs> and, you know, I, hopefully we can keep in touch. Oh, yes. Thank you, Amar, for being so inspiring and uh, taking the time to talk to me. You can follow him on Twitter at Amar Latif and you can follow us on at Where Go Right. Amar mentioned Adi Adepatan and he's on a previous episode of the podcast, along with other TV presenters, Spencer Kelly and Chris Lintot. Uh, thank you to Megan for beautifully producing this episode and Laura Shipsey for the music. We'll see you next week. This episode of Where Did It All Go Right is sponsored by Pearson. Pearson is the world's learning company, supporting talent and helping everyone to make progress in their lives through learning. Working with teachers and education experts, Pearson provides a wide range of qualification routes so you can pick the course which suits you best to develop your skills and stand out in the crowd. Visit them online at go.pearson.com forward slash where did it all go right?